0: What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you are the CEO of your own life. And if there's ever been a year to illustrate that, 2020 has been it. I wanted to take the opportunity today to share what I see as some of the most impactful moments of 2020 in the Side Hustle Nation world. Those will include some stories and sound bites from the last 12 months of the show, some new tools that I've started using, my favorite books of the year and my highlights and takeaways from those with some of the personal and business adjustments that went on during the year interwoven throughout. You'll find links to all the resources mentioned at sidehustlenation.com slash best of 2020. Now to stay up to date with all the ways you can make 2021 your most prosperous year yet, I wanna invite you to join the 70,000 or so people who welcome a little hustle in their inboxes every week. That is free for you at sidehustlenation.com slash Join. Plus comes with members-only access to hundreds of behind-the-scenes bonus files I've created over the years. So once again, it's sidehustlenation.com/join, or you can text the code hustle on to three three four four four. I want to start this one off on the topic of idea generation, because this is where so many people get stuck or have a hard time. Of course, there are hundreds of side hustle ideas in the side hustle show archives and in posts like the one you'll find at side hustlenation.com slash ideas. But the interesting thing is when I ask guests how they came up with their idea, very few of them have ever said, Well, I Googled side hustle ideas and I scrolled down to number 46 on the list. Instead, it's usually a combination of other factors or other inspiration. So where do ideas come from? Or maybe what's a more reliable way to generate them? A common way is to look at your existing skills, your existing interests, your existing passions. But at least one guest advised strongly against going down the passion route.
1: Number one for me is I avoid things that people are passionate about. That's the number one question. Is anybody passionate about doing this? Because if there's a lot of people who are passionate about it, then there's probably a lot of high, there's a high level of participation and the odds of success are probably a little bit lower.
0: This would be like starting a teaching yoga or something.
1: Exactly, right. The things that are fun, the things that people are kind of hobby-oriented, restaurants, brewing beer, things that are fun. And those are the things that if other people are kind of having fun doing that, they're maybe not going to make wise business decisions. They're going to undervalue their time. Those aren't the kind of people that I want to compete with if I'm starting a business.
0: That was Nick Huber from SweatyStartup.com and episode 373 of The Side Hustle Show. And it echoes a line that I highlighted from Guy Raz's How I Built This Book. Quote, customers don't pay for passion, they pay for things they can use. End quote. Guy's book was one of my favorite reads of the year, and I'll share a few more highlights from it later in this episode. But to the idea point again, if not passion, then what? Another of my top books addresses this in detail, and that's Dane Maxwell's Start from Zero. What's cool about Dane's framework is that it completely removes your skills, your experience, your passions from the idea generating equation, and instead puts all of that on the customer or prospect to reveal their pains and problems to you. Dane defines business as a customer using a mechanism to get a result. And that's similar to calling a business a problem-solving machine, which you've done in the past. But what that means is you need to figure out the results that your customers want and then figure out the best mechanism to deliver that result. I like this a lot because it starts with the customer and what they want rather than an idea you come up with and then try and sell. In Start From Zero, Dane proposes a five-question idea extraction framework. These are questions you would ask a potential prospect or potential client and You can just work these in over the course of a casual conversation. It doesn't have to be an interrogation. But those questions are, number one, over the course of the last year, what has been your most persistent and present problem? Number two, how do you currently go about solving that problem? Number three, what happens if you don't solve that problem? Number four, what would your dream solution be? Or if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve this problem? And number five, would that be worth paying for? And if so, how much? Again, I recommend checking out his book, Start From Zero, for a bit of a different perspective on coming up with ideas, really letting customers or prospects steer the ship. Among my other highlights from Dane include the line, the most important question to ask yourself is, did I build any equity today? We've talked before about an evening shutdown routine in which you catalog what you got done today, what you're grateful for, and this is really just a slight twist on that, not just did you cross something off your list, but was that a valuable activity in some way? Did you build any equity? And an important note here is that equity doesn't always mean cash flow. If you think about equity in your house, you can't really access that until you sell or refinance, but it's still worth something. In your side hustle, that could mean creating quality content, that could mean strengthening existing relationships or forging new ones, that could mean delivering an awesome client experience, Those are all equity building activities that, compounded over time, do often add up to some pretty serious cash flow. Chris Guillebeau in episode 382 phrased it this way, did I do work that mattered today? Hopefully you can answer yes to that question more days than not. One thing that probably matters to you is marketing your business. The creative ways people come up with to reach their target customers are always some of my favorite segments of the show. For service-based entrepreneurs, there are a couple episodes worth revisiting or checking out if you missed them with Helen Pritchard and Joshua Lysak. First up, in episode 383, Helen Pritchard walked through her formula for generating leads from LinkedIn.
2: I make LinkedIn profiles about the ideal client and not about the person whose profile it is. So we use the personal profile, but we use it like a landing page as in, it's written for your ideal clients, so you'll be able to see there my headline. It's like helping coaches, consultants, business owners get more leads from LinkedIn, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and all the people that I train have this, this same sort of headline. But people say, oh, these headlines that you're teaching, where well, they all start with helping. But they're actually every single headline is individual to the person whose business it is. So it's all about setting up your profile, your headline in your profile to talk to your ideal client and overcome their problems and talk about what's going on in their world rather than just talking about yourself all the time. So that's the first thing. Then it's about being consistent in terms of requesting your ideal clients on there every single day, so building your audience that way, and then putting out content. The more you post on LinkedIn, the more money you make. It's super simple. It's super simple, and it's almost like it's the stuff you don't worry about on LinkedIn that makes it work, not the stuff that you do. I mean, the crazy principles of knowing your ideal client selling one thing to one person at one time at one price, knowing how many of those things you need to sell to hit your targets, being consistent about putting your message out there, doing things that make you feel uncomfortable, like doing video, like asking for the business, like putting out sale posts with your price on, building your audience every day by adding new people who are this relevant to the stuff that you're talking about and engaging with them publicly. So liking and commenting and sharing their stuff. I mean, that's it. There you go. <laughs> you don't need to buy my course. That's it. That's the training, basically, in a couple of minutes.
0: Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like I thought that was a really cool process and got notes from several listeners who were implementing it right away. Again, that was Helen Pritchard in episode 383. A few episodes later in episode 390, Joshua Lysik shared the creative way he was generating leads from YouTube by essentially targeting the long tail question-based keywords that his target customers might be searching for. Then he'd create a video to answer that question, showcase his expertise, and then invite people who watch that video to schedule a call.
3: So I have kind of a multi-step process I've used over the last three years or so to get noticed at the top of search results for very competitive keywords. For example, I have one of the top videos for all things related to writing book proposals, which is how you get book deals, traditional book publishing deals. So people who want to become an author traditionally find one of my videos. So let's just take a, a sample there. Let's say I'm writing. I want to I offer my book proposal writing services to get a traditional book deal. So what I do is I use a tool called Keywords Everywhere. It is a very low-cost Google Chrome extension that tells you, how many searches a month the keyword you just typed into Google gets. What's the competition like? High competition, low competition? And then here's the really cool part. It tells you the suggested keywords or what other keywords people search for. So maybe the one you typed in gets 0 searches a month, but then the keywords everywhere box on the side of your Google search results tells you that there's an alternative version seconds, a thousand searches a month, 9,000 searches a month. And so that's how I would put together. Here's all of the keywords that relate to the expertise I could talk about. So it was just kind of a sifting process of what do I know about? Put that in a spreadsheet. Next column. What does keywords everywhere tell me that people are actually searching for? And I found that the sweet spot for monthly searches for my business is a hundred to a thousand searches a month. I think that part's critical because if you put in a keyword that gets 10 searches a month, even if you're number one for that keyword result, not really going to get a lot of results. On the other hand, if it's 40,000 searches a month, like maybe write how to write a book, you're going to see big publishers and big channels have already clogged up the first five pages. So there's not really an entry there or or a chance to get much attention. So it's that sweet spot of 100 to 1,000 searches a month. I found works really well for me.
0: The other tool that Josh mentioned in this episode, again, episode 390, was TubeBuddy, which is one of my top new tools of the year as well. What's cool about TubeBuddy from a video creator standpoint is the ability to punch in a bunch of different keyword variations and get a sense of their search volume and competitiveness on YouTube. The extension will give you a number score from one to 100 on how likely you are to rank a video for each given keyword. So I always end up typing in several different variations, several different options, and just pick the one with the highest number, right? Give yourself the best chance for success. In addition to TubeBuddy, the other video-related tool that I've acquired this year is an iPhone teleprompter. It's called the Padcaster Parrot Teleprompter, and it was around 100 bucks when Jacques Hopkins recommended it. But it's super cool. This thing attaches onto the lens of my camera, which, side note, I now have the world's fanciest webcam, thanks to Bryn, who's letting me borrow one of her DSLRs from her wedding photography business. Like, hey, nobody's getting married this year, so let's figure out how to rig this thing up and impress some people on Zoom calls. But the teleprompter attaches to the lens of the camera, and then it shows the text file that's on your phone, and there's this little Bluetooth remote that controls the speed of the scroll. This is a little thing, but it's dramatically sped up my video production process. Now, I've also moved my primary workstation out of the kid's bedroom closet, which has done wonders for video lighting, and is just an overall much, much better setup. So after spending the last couple years in the closet, it is great to be out. Continuing our marketing theme, there's a line from the How I Built This book that says, quote, there's only one reliable way to engineer word of mouth. You have to make a really good product. Actually, that's not precisely true. It can't just be really good. It has to be so good that someone has to recommend it. And because nobody is going to recommend something ordinary, it has to be new and special and leave people with something they can easily share with their friends by way of their recommendations. End quote. So what can you build that's too good not to share? I've given the example of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast in the past. It's incredible. It's hard to overstate how good Dan is as a storyteller. You got to go check it out. It's too good not to share. Same thing with my Bluetooth wireless earbuds that I talked about a few episodes ago in our Little Life Upgrades episode. Game changer. I mean, uh, stretchy jeans. Who knew, right? For guys. But something that's too good not to share. Another one of my favorite tools this year is Canva. Same idea. Like, I used to do all sorts of graphic work in PowerPoint. Canva is way better, way easier. So I've been using that for YouTube thumbnails this year and some other graphic stuff. From stranger to customer slash user to fan slash evangelist. That's the path that you really want to take your prospects on. And I've felt this way about a bunch of different guests. I mean, I'll tell anybody who will listen about Erica Crouppen's pooper scooper business, Alex and Healy at Finn versus Finn, what they've been able to build in just the past couple of years. Luke from vanWoof.com just a couple of weeks ago, we heard about his crazy Etsy business, Nate and Alicia's bra flipping business. I feel honestly like I've got the best job in the world sourcing and sharing these kinds of stories. Hopefully, you find them too good not to share as well. So we've talked idea generation, we've talked marketing a little bit, and I wanna talk about productivity and energy for a minute. This year has been really taxing emotionally. The constant uncertainty and restrictions on what you can and can't do have definitely taken a toll, but there have been some silver linings too. One of those has been recognizing a trigger of mine that I'll call open loops, open loop syndrome, This is where an idea has been planted, but there's no conclusion yet. Like, are we going to go on this trip or not? Should the kids be going to preschool or not? What about this project or this opportunity? For example, I was approached by a filmmaker this fall to produce a feature-length documentary about side hustles, which was super flattering, super exciting, right? But it was another open loop decision that had to be made. These occupy a non-trivial amount of brain space for me but recognizing that it's something that does bother me has been helpful in addressing it. Like, hey, what's, what's bothering me? I think it's another open loop. And addressing it has usually been in the form of uh, making a decision, yes or no, or punting the idea into a sauna, in my case, for a later date, or setting a calendar reminder on a specific date to revisit the question. The other silver lining has been a, call it a forced opportunity to reevaluate. The 80-20 of the business. What 20% of activities generate 80% of the results? This year I went from working four days a week to working two days a week, plus some afternoon nap times, quiet times if I'm lucky on the other days. And here's the thing, because that might sound like bragging. When you have a business you love, the four-hour workweek isn't the goal. Sure, the option for a four-hour work week is nice, but the bigger challenge is filling the time that you do have with meaning, whether that's at work or not. And one thing I am really grateful for is the chance to spend way more time with our two boys than I otherwise would in a non-pandemic universe. Yes, there are projects I didn't get to. Yes, the business didn't grow as fast as it has in the past, but 2020 has helped me recognize there are seasons for everything. And sometimes it's okay to take a breath. It'll still be there tomorrow. It'll still be there next week, next year. We did a segment on pandemic pivots earlier in the year on how some side hustlers and entrepreneurs have adapted, but the whole year reminds me of the Mike Tyson quote, like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. One of my favorite stories from the podcast this year about getting proverbially punched in the mouth came from Dustin Heiner in episode 387. Here he is talking about getting laid off from his supposedly safe government job and the fire that lit under him.
4: I was working for the county government, and then I'm working from Monday to Friday. Just one week back after my my fourth child was born, on Friday at three thirty in the afternoon, I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, like the top dog. His secretary came, gave me a call, and said, "Hey, Dustin, the boss needs to see you. See you come to the office." I said, "Okay," and I hung up the phone, and I sat there for a second, like, "What is? Why are they calling me?" And then, as I'm sitting there, I start to think, "What?" could be calling about, and oh my goodness, back before I left, I heard some rumors or some rumbling throughout the entire office about possible layoffs, because there wasn't much money. And this was like 2009, you know, right after the crash, it eventually trickled down to the government. I'm Me working for the government, I'm like, I should be fine, I have plenty of seniority, I'm doing really well, they've always gotten raises. And so I get up, and I start walking down the hallway to the boss's office, it feels like it's a mile long. Because I'm just thinking, what am I gonna do if I get laid off? And as I'm walking, my feet feel like lead bricks. Like I just, it's hard to take that next step. And each time my heart started pumping a little more because I started realizing, my goodness, I have four kids. How am I gonna feed them? How am I gonna put a roof over my head? And I get to where my boss's office is. His door is closed. I turn the corner and I see the secretary. Sheepishly, she looks at me and kind of grins and says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? She knows exactly what's gonna happen, what is happening. I don't. And she's trying to console me just by you know, her eyes and her smile. She can't tell me. So I sit down. And as I'm sitting there, I'm feeling like so, a pit in my stomach thinking, oh my goodness, this is probably it. And I started realizing or thinking, am I a failure as a husband? Am I a failure as a father? Even as a man, am I a failure? And as I think more and more, it's like literally like 30 seconds or a minute of just sitting there. I start to sweat on my forehead, my hands get all clammy, and then opens the door to my boss's office. And out walks a lady with a piece of paper. She's noticeably distraught, almost crying, but she's not really, not saying anything, holding this piece of paper and walking out. And then my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into my office? And so I get up and go in, and lo and behold, I get laid off. And who gets laid off from the government? Well, I did. I absolutely get laid off from the government. And so I take that piece of paper, I go back to my office, and I realize two things. Well, number one, I realized that I need to provide for my family. And everything that I need to do from this point forward is to be able to provide for my family, my four kids, my wife. And so I was blessed within maybe like a week later, I was able to find another job in the county because I had a good reputation. So I got that. That was the number that my job was to find a job. And I did that, which is the first goal. The second thing was I needed to never, ever let this happen to me again outside forces causing me to not be able to provide for my family. So what I decided to do was that point, as I'm literally sitting at my desk right after I got laid off, the second thing I realized, I am now an investor. Even though I had two or three properties, I was just a side hustle. I realized I am now an investor, even though like 98% of my income comes from my side job, it's now my side job. Even though when 98% of my money comes from it, my value is in what I give myself. And so what we usually say and what I would always say if somebody says, hey, Dustin, what do you do? Basically, what do you put value in? I would always say, I work for the county government, doing IT work of the county government. No longer did I ever say that after that. I said, I am an investor in real estate rental properties.
0: Now, along the lines of clarity of mind and focus and making the most of limited hours, I've got a couple wins or shifts to share on that front. The first is leaning more into delegation. I've had virtual assistants and outsourced help for years, but this year has forced me to really think about a couple of things. First, the work that I enjoy most, and second, where can I add the most unique value? And actually, it's really the combination of those two things. For instance, I honestly enjoyed the little dopamine rush of getting a sale notification or a PayPal payment notification and rushing over to my bookkeeping spreadsheet to log that revenue, which would be an example of a task that I enjoyed, but wasn't adding a ton of unique value. It checks one of the boxes, but not both. So bookkeeping is an area where I began to delegate finally and also bringing on an executive assistant to help with some email-related tasks, some content drafting, and some other admin stuff. So I guess there's really two types of outsourcing, or maybe two that I'm thinking of here. There's the stuff that you know how to do, but you shouldn't be doing. And then there's the stuff that you don't know how to do, but should be. In any case, practicing letting go has been an important move this year. Thing number two, under the umbrella of focus and making the most of limited hours, was actually selling a side project of mine. I may do a full episode or blog post on this soon, but this was a site, ironically, in the virtual assistant space that I'd been running since 2011. It was generating very consistent cash flow, and for the last couple years, I had kind of earmarked Wednesday mornings, as my time to work on that site, as my time blocking strategy, right? But with our new normal of now Wednesday mornings no longer being work time at all anymore, I was afraid that the site was going to fall into this state of neglect. And anybody who has run a website knows how great a business it can be. It's super time leveraged and it can feel really passive for a while. But like anything else, if you neglect an asset too long, the uh, deferred maintenance can start to catch up. And that was my fear there. So, I'll try and put together a full history on the marketing and monetization of that project because it was very much a side hustle from day one. And over its nine year lifespan, nine and a half years, including the proceeds from the sale, it ended up generating over half a million dollars in total. Not per year, but a $500,000 side hustle overall, which was pretty cool. So, that sale went through in October, which has freed up some more time to dedicate to content for Side Hustle Nation, which Going back to the earlier point is the work that I enjoy the most and where I feel like I can add the most unique value. On the podcast production front, there have been a couple subtle changes, which will give me a chance to plug two more of my new favorite tools of 2020. The first is Squadcast for recording remote interviews. This is an alternative to Skype or Zencaster, and it's been working really well for me this year. I think it helps get better sound quality from guests, you can have multiple guests on separate tracks, you can record in wave format, you get backup files if anything goes haywire, and it's been relatively straightforward to do uh, remote troubleshooting, which is always good. Early on, it's probably not something I would have paid for, but today, the $20 a month price tag seems like money well spent. Plus, I met the founders at a couple of local podcast events, so that personal relationship probably plays into that as well. The second thing and this was a great find, courtesy of Josh Elledge back in episode 361. And that was otter.ai, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. This is an A-I transcription service where it's a flat $10 a month for, I want to say, like 6,000 minutes of audio or something like that. And because it's A-I, full, dis- full disclosure here, the transcription isn't perfect. So you wouldn't just, you know, copy and paste this onto your site. But it's good enough where I can mark up the files for my uh, podcast editor, Brandon or Ben, thank you guys, to let them know where to start the show, what to keep, what to cut. I have also taken to downloading episodes of other shows to try and vet guests and uh, uploading those into Otter to search for certain keywords or topics that they talked about. It's a very cool tool. On top of that, it makes life so much easier when I try and put together clip shows like this. I mean, without the transcriptions, it would be a huge challenge to try and pinpoint the exact uh, start times, stop times of the sound bites of the clips that you want. But podcast production, like all things in life or in business, it's an evolving process. So I imagine it will continue to change and improve over time. In that spirit, I've got another book recommendation for you. This one is The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. I want to say this was recommended to me by coach Chad Carson. Thanks, Chad. But what's awesome about this book and the Wright brothers in general is that their whole airplane experimentation and operation was done as a side hustle to their bike shop in Dayton, Ohio. I loved how they approached every problem uh, methodically and with this iterative process, kind of like uh, an engineer's or a scientist's mindset. Like, first they built a glider and then they improved on that glider and then they added a small motor and tried again. On top of that, they persevered through some pretty rough conditions on their annual adventures out to Kitty Hawk and a very public near-fatal plane crash. Very interesting read, just a glimpse into what was life like 120 years ago. It was cool stuff. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time, focus, discipline, incremental progress, those are themes in the book and those are themes on the Side Hustle Show, not just in 2020, but really throughout the archives. The next area that I want to explore in this Best of 2020 episode is related to health and energy. Now, obviously, health has been at the top of everyone's mind this year, but it's really difficult to put great work out into the world if you don't feel great when you're doing it, right? Health directly relates to your productivity, I read a handful of productivity-themed books this year, including Make Time, Unstoppable by David Hauser, and The Power of Full Engagement, which was recommended by Noah Kagan. And the interesting thing was that all three of these spent, to me, a surprising amount of time on your physical health and its impact on your ability to be productive and effective elsewhere. One thing that stood out in The Power of Full Engagement was the requirement of both stress and recovery For growth, this process of sprint and rest. You can't sprint all the time. That's just a recipe for disaster, recipe for burnout, right? And you can't rest all the time or even keep a steady pace the whole time because then there's no growth. So stress plus recovery. See how you can incorporate that into your work life and let me know what you think. How that has historically looked for me is working in four-week project-based, quote, sprints and then taking a week to regroup or refocus on the next phase or the next project. And that's shifted a little bit this year with the more inconsistent work hours, but I believe that the idea still has some merit. Now, another book that is worth checking out as it relates to your physical health, and I would honestly try and find a summary of this one because it gets really deep into the weeds of microbiology, but the book is called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. It's written by David Sinclair, a research scientist from Harvard Medical School. This is one of my most interesting reads for the year, even though I'm not sure I was fully able to digest uh, everything in this. But the big idea that I took away was actually really similar to this idea of stress plus recovery. There seems to be, according to the author, tremendous benefit in activating what he called survival circuits for cellular level recovery. Could you stress your body and the cells within it a little bit so that they start to repair themselves? without putting them at long-term risk. Now, the jury still seems to be out pending, you know, human clinical trials on how to mimic this effect with supplements. But the author proposed a few ways to do this safely and naturally. And here's the medical disclaimer: look, you know, do your own due diligence, consult a physician. I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on the internet. But the recommendations were, number one, intermittent fasting. There are a bunch of different protocols for this, but the most popular seems to be the 16-8 strategy, where you have an eight-hour eating window. For me, that's usually 11 a.m. or noon to around 7 p.m., which then gives you a 16- or 17-hour fasting window overnight and, and then into the morning. I'm really curious where the research ultimately points on this, particularly on the minimum effective dose. Is 12 hours enough, 13 hours? Is 16 hours enough to derive some benefit? Or do you really need to fast for 24 hours or longer to give your body a reset? So that was recommendation number one, intermittent fasting in this book. Recommendation number two was a plant-based diet. Recommendation number three was high-intensity workouts or some form of movement on a consistent basis. And the fourth one, this was interesting too, was cold and heat exposure. The author argued that we live our lives in what he called the thermo-neutral zone, and this is the temperature range between, call it, 60 and 75 or 60 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. And he argues like, look, it's not going to kill you to get out of that comfort zone every once in a while, but do it in a safe or controlled way, like the occasional cold shower or sauna session. So again, that was Lifespan by David Sinclair. We're checking out a summary of it because it is pretty dense. And I think that was the last book on my list for this episode, but I do have a few more to share that I enjoyed this year. So I'll link those up for you at sidehustlenation.com slash best of 2020. The next clip that I want to share with you was geared toward kids. But I think the message is really powerful for quote, grownups as well. This is Don Wetrick from episode 414.
1: The first thing is that they're producing, not just consuming. There's a lot of kids who would prefer watching other people create Legos online. I think that that's okay for a little bit. Like my son will watch how to build things on Minecraft, but then go do it. Producers are greater than just consumers. That's number one. Allow your students to produce, whether that is a video, whether that is a podcast. And yes, if you produce a podcast at age six, that's freaking cool. Maybe only five people listen to it. Doesn't matter. You're in the art of production. You've brought something to the world, not just react to it. Number two, your curiosities and your passions are enhanced. Remember listening to John Medina? He has some great books out there on his own on basically how to raise children through a neuroscience standpoint. I think it's called Brain Rules and Brain Rules for Baby. But he's talking about him as a child. If he had an interest, his mom went overboard. Mom, like every other kid, I love dinosaurs. She bought anything or could garage sale and get anything dinosaur. And passion begets passion. Like once you're excited about something, you enjoy the process of learning. And yes, my oldest daughter went from liking dinosaurs to liking horses to liking. (laughs) But that's okay. Those things come and go. It's the learning process and it's that desire to want to know more that's important. And then third, allow them to fail and go, all right, what did we learn? Do not cushion the blow. Do not give them the participation trophy. Or if they do, like, great, but what did you really take away from this? So when your kid goes, hey, look, Dad, look what I built. Okay, I mean, you don't have to be mean about it. But you're like, okay, it's not bad. What, what needs to be improved? Resist the temptation of saying, oh, honey, it's perfect. No, it's, give honest feedback. Allow them to know that just because done doesn't mean great, that it's part of a, a bigger process. Those three things just really resonate with me at any age. Well, I guess past three or four.
0: Now, allowing failure can be pretty scary, especially as grownups. There's an ego factor or an embarrassment factor that can be tough to get past. I wanted to share this clip from Stacey Gallego from episode 406. I got so many notes from listeners who said they just loved how honest and inspiring Stacy was.
5: Several years ago, I was in a, a group of people and a missionary came to speak with us and he was from the UK. And he said to this group, he said, finish this sentence for me. And he said, anything worth doing is worth doing. And of course, we all said, well, or with excellence, or, you know, we all finished that sentence that, our culture says, you know, if you're going to do anything, do it well. He said, it's actually the opposite. He said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly because we're never good at everything we try in the beginning. So I just want to encourage people, if you want to flip items for profit, get started. I've had so many people tell me, well, I would do that, but I would be scared of shipping, or I would do that, but my husband wouldn't like me to do that or I would, I would do that, but I'd be scared I would mess it up. We all make mistakes. If you have a dream that you want to put together some cash, maybe you want to get out of debt. Maybe you want to travel more. Maybe you want to spend t- more time with your family or leave a job that you aren't happy with. Get started today. Like don't wait another day and learn along the way. Everybody makes mistakes and really the mistakes are how I've gotten so much better. Because every time I make a mistake, I end up having some idea to do it better the next time. So, And if flipping's not your jam, Nick, you know there's 9,000 other ideas out there that you can... You should never stay someplace in your life that you're not happy with. Because there's a million and one ways to make money and they're out there. You just got to find them and just start.
0: Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. Every expert was once a beginner. Every all-star was once a rookie. Every business once had zero customers. You got to start somewhere. And I'm hoping the Side Hustle Show has played some small role in you getting started and you staying started. Another line from Guy Raz's How I Built This stood out to me in this context. And it was, quote, failing is scary. Wasting your life is dangerous, end quote chew on that one a little bit as we turn the calendar here. Once again, you'll find links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at SideHustleNation.com slash best of 2020. If you're new to the show, welcome. Make sure to subscribe in your podcast player app. I do send a weekly newsletter with the latest money-making ideas as well. If you text the code on to 33444, I'll get you signed up for that. Or you can point your browser to SideHustleNation.com slash join. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Happy New Year and hustle on.